Sexual Redemption. Sexual Intention. Oh, hi, hello. <laughs> Didn't see you there, mostly because this is not visual content, but hi. You're now looped into the world of BAM. <laughs> love. I love how I say it like it means something. Like, you know, I have a podcast network and there's multiple podcasts and then every single one has that voice. A girl can have dreams. Homegirl has dreams. <laughs> hi, Amaya. This is by all means necessary. Where we get to shit by all means necessary. Quite literally, we just do it. We get to the motives by all means necessary. We get to cover the killers who do shit by all means necessary for the <laughs> sake of repetition. <laughs> Guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but I have achieved something insanely, insanely done this week again. And it is the proof that I never learn. It is the honest proof. So, you know how my teeth are hollow and have feelings in them? Well, if you didn't, now you do. Hello. I don't go to the dentist and I just have really shitty teeth and if I ever had money those would be the first fuckers to go and just be replaced by normal functioning teeth but no these are the ones I have so a couple of weeks ago I was eating should I shame the brand I was eating these like really hard salted crisps and I knocked out like a part of my tooth on the left side of my fucking jaw and I was like, what the fuck is this? Is this like a piece of thing that has never, <laughs> that I never just managed to wash out of my teeth? No, it turns out it's a feeling. And then I was like, wow, this is bizarre, so great. It's not like dentists are open, I can go to the dentist. No, I totally chill. Yesterday, I was eating the fucking, because I never learned, I eat the same salted crisps. And I, the same thing happened on my right side. So I don't have feelings now. I have extremely hollow teeth where everything goes. Literally, it's like storage of fucking food during the whole last day where I just shove everything to get them, get the food out of my teeth. It's great. This is what you signed up for. This is why you're a subscriber here because this is what you want to know, isn't it? <laughs> now that we are done with this gross, pointless story, moral of it being that you should um, never repeat your own mistakes. You know, or just stop repeat, stop doing it. If if one of the feelings is out, stop eating the same goddamn crisps. You learn your lesson. No, mm. not in my fucking case. Fucking love potatoes too much. Okay, well, this story is not bad. Potatoes. These girls did not like potatoes. Well, I actually don't know that, <laughs> but they liked two things: pussy and crime. God, how is this podcast still fucking operating? Love it. I love it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. In the finale of the Deadly Duos month, because, you know, last next week I'm going rogue and I'm bringing you a fucking sick story. Okay, so, in the finale of Deadly Duos month, living in the present, living in the present, but going to the past, that's how we do it. I'm bringing you duo of lesbian killers, because lesbians can kill, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's dive into the motherfucker. During the 80s in Michigan, two nurses killed at least five women in their care at Alpine Manor. They started seeking for a victim in every patient by all means necessary. Their modus operandi will give them the notoriety they wanted. This is the story of Gwendolyn Graham and Catherine Wood.
mini interlude on the change of the intros. These intros will be changing a bit because I realize I never properly incorporated the title of this podcast and the reasons why it's named that way and this because all of these killers get fucking fixated and then do things by all means necessary. You get it? You get it? Now yeah, go listen to the whole library and uh, no, I didn't re-edit it. <laughs> go listen to the whole library and think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, explains the range of cases that I cover. It's not just like somebody nonchalantly doing it. No, they're doing it by all means necessary. And we get to the bottom of these things. How? Bam, that's how. Back to the story. So, I just realized, well, basically, I was, okay. So, basically, I had... Twilight Killers and Caesar Sisters prepped because I watch like I've been to Dallin O'Neill, Kendall Ray, Bailey Sarian, all of the YouTubers that do like crew crime videos. I think Eleanor was the only one that covered both of those. But I was like, okay, cool. I what other thing do I cover that hasn't been just you know Fred and Rose West, Bonnie and Clyde, all of those fuckers that have been covered and chewed up and spit out. It will never live up as an expression. And I was like, also, what type of killer haven't I covered on this podcast? And I have never covered an angel of death. Covered family annihilators, bunch of fucking sadists. But why do angels of death kill? Well, not to spoil it, but it's either of mercy or because they are psychos. So uh, yeah, it's one of those. Hey, stay till the end so you find out. I am in a weird mood today. Let's kick it. Chill. How were these two discovered? Because what can go wrong if they are killing women and in particular elderly women? You know, kind of like Jack... Uh, what's the name? Jane Toppin. Is it Jane Toppin? Correct me if I'm wrong. That nurse that was like one of the first serial female serial killers, serial killers in general. H.H. Holmes might have been the first serial killer and then she was maybe second or first female. But yeah, she was a nurse that just killed people, old ladies, and they would just get away with it. So these two bitches were like, yeah, we can do that. But it was not for sympathy reasons. It was not. Did I just spoil the motive? Great, good job, round of applause. After the killing spree, they parted their ways until one of them, Catherine Wood, confessed to her second husband. This is what she confessed to. Of course, she immediately said she had no part in it. You know, she was just holding guard while Gwen Graham was the mastermind who coerced her into participating in these murders. The huge problem here, from the very beginning, is that the autopsies were never performed on these women, and all but two of them had been cremated. So, the police ordered the exhumation of those two, and the coroner found no physical evidence of homicide, but if Wood admitting to Gwen smothering these women has been correct, then the evidence wouldn't be present after this long time. And this is like one of the weakest cases I have covered because they just go based off Wood's statements alone and the causes of death were just like changed to homicide. They're like, yeah, we can't perform autopsies again, but let's trust this bitch. She knows what she's on about because she gives them quite graphic details, as you'll see. And they arrest those two. Now Gwen Graham, who just continued with her life, she was like, what the fuck does this bitch want now? Oh, she wants to convict me for murder. <laughs> Great. She's like, no, 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 I'm innocent. I moved on. And she's like, no, actually, the roles have reversed. It was Wood who manipulated me. It was her all along. Which, okay, this is a learning point for everybody. You have to be the first person to blame somebody. If you're a snitch, you need to snitch first. Technically, you know, Takashi 6 9 Every time I use this phone. <laughs> but 
it will never work if you are the person trying to twist the story unless you are rich and famous or whatever but here in this case it doesn't okay you kind of in this situation you need to play a victim but Gwen didn't read Maya's bible <laughs> yeah note to self write a book one day call it Maya's bible and see how nobody fucking reads it now there was a book written about this about these girls crimes by Lovell Kofel it's one of those weird American names. Sorry about that. I can't pronounce this shit. I'm an immigrant, as you know. So she wrote this fucking book. And she said that, like, from the interviews she did with friends of the couple, everybody working in that, it always did seem that Wood was the nominate one. So the one that first went to the police, right? And that is honestly my opinion as well. Because you do the plot twist, you twist it around, and then the other person, she, she read the Maya's Bible. She knew that she needs to be the one to blame the other bitch first if she wants to snitch. Which if she never, if she never did, they would have never been caught. But thanks, Wood. Then what story would I be telling you today? Yep, somebody else's. Because the world is full of seekers, okay? Not a point, not a point. <laughs> Another bizarre fact is these two were 24 and 25 at the time that they were doing this. So it's not even like, you know, you're enraged, you're like of a certain age and now you're just like, fuck it, let's just kill these women to get off. They were young. Remember the great heterosexuals? Yeah, there's the same version with great homosexuals as well. They can be in their 20s, you know, they already have a woman. During the era that this was kind of unheard of, they're living their best life. They have the partner that they want, but no, they're like, let's twist it around. This is not enough. The only way my 20-year-old self gets off is, well, not to spoil it, it's coming up. So now Graham tries to present herself and she's like, listen, these murders started as a kind of just macabre game. It was just a game. It was silly, silly ass. And the object of the game, according to Gwen, classic Gwen, was to choose the victims by their initials to spell out the word murder. <laughs> Genius. Just 24 and 25 year olds just playing fucking games with people's lives. Genius. It's like, oh, how do you spell? Oh my god, spelling B. Murder. And now we kill an M. And uh, it's Maya. Oh, shit. Shit, I would be the one to go first. Fuck, this is, this is serious business, okay? But it says, but this proved to be too difficult. So they gave up and just started killing patients and random. Like, imagine if, if they wanted to spell, like, otorinolaryngologist. Like, one of the longest fucking words. How would you achieve that? Murder was too difficult. Also, you're the ones to invent the game. <laughs> you know, when I started releasing this podcast and I met up with like a couple of friends I think it was after Luigi Longi episode I was like there was just no information but I loved it I had to cover it but yeah there was just no information <laughs> and one of my friends you know Alejandro the one that I mentioned like every other episode for no reason shout out random shout out <laughs> to like random Spanish people in London hello hello he was like you know it's your podcast like you know you choose what you cover I'm like that makes sense but <laughs> So this was Gwen here, she was like, you know, this is the game you invented, this is, this is not an official game, this is not like, oh, how you play Monopoly. No, it's the fucking morbid game you invented. And you're like, but murder is too hard, what word should we use? So we're already off to the great start, because these two clearly don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're doing it, and they would have gotten away with it if one of them didn't fucking snitch. What does that tell you about everybody and humanity? You can try to do anything. Don't try to kill fucking don't be this. Don't use this podcast as the inspiration for that. But you can truly, truly uh, 
achieve anything, even if it starts with the dumbest game. Now, because they're still fucking mentally five, they make this into an actual game. So they make it like a joke in, in between them. <laughs> Inside jokes, you know, how you have those with your colleagues, these two were doing the same fucking thing at their workplace. So they would write letters to each other that said, I love you forever and X amount of days. So like, I love you forever and five days, because in the end they kill five people. And X would be the number of people that they have killed. How romantic. Deadly does just freak me out, because the bond is just something different. Like, we've seen it with Scissor Sisters, with Twilight Killers, with these two. It's just the bond that those people have. Like, one of them has to be dominant, but one of them has to be, like, even more not. Probably Graham came up with this fucking dumbass idea because she was just like, oh my god, you see how you're bossing us around? But I'm funny, I'm hilarious, I'm the one that has the jokes here forever and how many days? Yikes. So how did this come about? You know, how does this, you know, that's what we always wonder. How does this come about in a chat? You know, it's just two lesbian women cuddling each other, having a nice time. And then how do they come about this? Well, we're, we're. During sexual intercourse, <laughs> God, how old am I? <laughs> Why do I write these scripts like this? Uh, Gwen got a kick from tying Katty down and choking her or covering her face with a pillow until she trembled on the verge of blacking out. Classic, classic Gwen. And well, Catherine would never complain. She was like, okay, come on, didn't black out, great stuff. So, because they now realize, as it always happens in these fucking cases, they now realize that's not enough. And they escalate about like 10 steps away from it. It's not like, okay, cool, BDSM. And then just like, okay, level 2. No, they just go to fucking level 100 of this game without having established any fucking rules. So, (laughs) this is... One of the Criminal Minds episodes as well had like a case similar to this that just gave me the worst creeps. It's like there are episodes of Criminal Minds that are just forever engraved into my fucking brain and this is one of this. Gwendolyn Graham and uh, Catherine Wood didn't know that they are going to be featured on this particular episode because of this. But the next part should only say they had sex in front of their corpses as it would turn them on. They would smother the person in the freaking hospital and then they would just have sex there and then be like oh my god the person died oh my god and they're just like why are you glowing like why are you panting why are you huffing and puffing why do you have the orgasm glow in your face if the person just fucking died this next part i'm gonna put a couple of lines after this murderpedia's compilation of articles in every single fucking article there is fat shaming involved in every single one. And it's just on levels. There's different levels. So this line reads, Wood was a massive 450-pound woman, woman who intensely loved the more dominant and sexually experimentative Graham. Raw, why was her weight relevant here? They just killed a person and having sex in front of her. Hello, newspapers during this time. Are you okay? Are you doing okay in the head? What are your priorities? The papers were like, yeah, so multiple choice. Can we, A, focus on the fact that they were lesbians? Mm, no, that's a very no-no of a topic. B, focus on this fucking sick game. No, it's kind of too sick. They're having like having sex next to the corpses. How can we describe that? Mm. Or C, one of them was overweight. Bingo. That's the one. That's the one. This is editorial gold right here. Editorial gold. 
So together they would kill six elderly females, out of which we definitely have like five confirmed, that resided in this elderly home, and on more than one occasion they would make love as they washed the body of their victim in preparation for burial. I just wanna jump out of my fucking skin. Who put make love here? God damn it. All of these articles will make you want to jump out of your skin. This is exactly the problem, because it's not because of how gruesome the crimes were and that they were fucking having sex next to the corpses. It's how they speak about it, because of course it's like gay women, oh my god, such a taboo. They just like use the weirdest fucking expressions in all these things and they're all fat shaming. So yeah, I was like loving researching this, loved it. The most politically correct statement that I found was her lover was on the lookout standing by where she could watch the murder and the nurse's station all at once, diverting any member of the staff who strayed too close, while Graham snuffed her chosen victim with a washcloth pressed against the nose and the mouth. Sometimes the sheer excitement of the killing was too much, and they retired immediately to an empty room for sex while memories were fresh. Who wrote this? Like, are we fucking in Shakespearean England? Also, why do we know how was she diverting every member of staff? Like, after some time, you're kind of suspicious, right? There's always this one woman, and then the, while the other one was attending to the nurse, it's like, why do two women need to be present in this room? And why is one of them clearly not doing fuck all? You're just staring outside of the window, being like, to the left, to the left. This is your personal fairy godmother announcing a personal interlude, so skip for about 4 minutes if you wanna go back to the story. But if you're the OG BAM listener, you know that this one is gonna be good. And by good I mean v very gross. <laughs> but it's personal and it's how I can re only relate to this story. And the only way I can process it in my head. So in terms of this particular lookout thing, when my whole family was on a holiday one time when I was like little, I think I was about 8 or 9, so my bro was like 4. And, you know, we were on the beach, so we went onto one of those pedaling things. I never know what the actual name was of it is. You know, one of those, like, where two people can pedal and then two people kind of sit in the back or you use the slide and you swoosh into the sea. Yeah, my family being the ambitious motherfuckers that we are, we're like, no, we're gonna pedal far, far fucking from the beach. So we did. We passed, like, the nudist beach and we're like, oh yeah, we're far as fuck. It's been, like, an hour or two. So, of course, bodily needs are present. One of us needs to pee, one of us needs to poop, the other person needs to pee. It's like literally every single one of us needed to either pee or poop. So, what we did, we as a family were on the lookout for each other. <laughs> I vividly remember, it was like me and my mom holding ourselves with the fingers to that paddling thing while, well, dropping pee or poop bombs into the sea. Giving the signs to like the dad and the brother to like spin and be like, bring it, pedal it, motherfuckers, pedal away from our shit. Truly, pedal away from all of the problems, leave them all behind. Mm, so poetic. And then we would swap. And yeah, we truly stuck to each other as a family. Even our cover story for pee, dropping pee and poop bombs was better than this. What story was the lookout person selling at the door if they just passed by? How are you justifying just chilling at the door, bitch? You are a nurse, you're not a fucking bodyguard. Okay, anyways. Snapping out of the personal fairy godmother story. So, in this testimony, they say that some of the women would fight off because, yes, old women are feisty as fuck. 
In January 1987, Graham entered the room of the woman who had Alzheimer's disease, and she was chewing incapacitated to fight back. So she just became their first victim, because I think like both of them had to kind of attack an old woman, because again... Great humans, totally, to- totally not one of the biggest fucking triggers. Yes, you have all the power and then you just incapacitate a fucking weaker person than you are. Great, great, what's next? You're gonna attack fucking kids. Because if you already went 100 levels from, you know, just like casual fucking sex and kinks, then, I mean, what else is left for you? Because it's clearly not somebody equal to you. They must have known how to fuck. Especially Wood. She must have known how to bullshit. Because how was the autopsy never performed on any of these women? So she was probably the one who was like, yeah, to the left. Oh my god, it's like an emergency, you know. The woman just peed herself or something. And then, like, my colleague is, you know, trying to attend to her. But then what is the purpose of you standing in the fucking room? And another most bizarre part of this story is that they would take souvenirs because, again, this is this is a game for them. They're like, we're collecting Pokemon. So Graham took souvenirs from the victims, keeping them to relieve the deaths. And both of them openly bragged about smothering six victims to their co-workers, with Graham even showing off her souvenirs, but no one believed them. Like, imagine that day in the kitchen, somebody's just like, oh yeah, I couldn't, you know, I kind of confess to you directly that I killed six people. It's like a classic Graham, it's just a classic story. If somebody confesses a murder to you, they could probably murder that person. You should probably look into it, report it, and then let somebody in power investigate that. Because nobody just confesses to me like, oh, I'm drunk, because I killed a person. No, that's not a normal fucking personality trait. And allegedly they broke up when Wood refused to actively kill a patient to prove her love to Graham. Because again, as I mentioned, this escalates a couple of notches. This is why you don't get involved into shady shit. So Wood transferred to another shift, but then Graham eventually moved to Texas with another woman and began work in a hospital taking care of infants. This is why it's disturbing. Why is she close to infants? Infants are weaker than her. Why had nobody investigated that part of the story? And something, a little small thing that I haven't mentioned yet. Wood, during this whole affair, had a husband at home, you see? You know, openly homosexual. Of course not. That marriage collapsed after Graham left. She probably realized, oh, I don't actually have another woman in my life to actually keep this heterosexual thing going. Her first marriage goes to shits, and then she remarries another man, because she obviously can't be open about her sexuality. And just as quickly she divorces him, but she stays long enough to somehow confess to this guy that she was the one out of the two responsible for murdering five women at this alpine manor. This whole time Graham maintains that she's innocent, and not just that, but that these claims were like unfounded because just like a joke that they had with their co-workers well then fucking choose better jokes okay become a comedian graham <laughs> go to improv bitch just purely based on these witness testimonies graham was found guilty of all charges so five counts of murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder and she was sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole Wood, thanks to thanks to her plea deal, was charged with only one count of second-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit second-degree murder. So she gets 20 years on each count, but after serving 29 years, she was granted parole. 
in October 2018. Yes, she's out on the streets. So the victim list includes 60-year-old Margaret Chambers, 89-year-old Edith Cole, 95-year-old Myrtle Lewis, 70-year-old May Mason, and 74-year-old Bailey Burkhard. This is just super painful because, as you all know, I have like a great grandma that I love and adore. And it's just like if you put her in a home and somebody just abuses her, abuses of her in there, they're sick fucking people. You would like to think, you know, you're giving her away a to, well, nurses who have been trained to do this, who have some empathy, who have some sympathy towards these people. But then, yeah, in some cases, you just leave them with people like Graham and Wood. You might like to know that the Alpine Manor has gone out of business, but the building now houses a nursing home called Sanctuary at St. Mary's. Nobody wins. (laughs) So what in their life caused them to have sexual intercourse? (laughs) What in their life caused them to have sexual intercourse in front of their courses? Did you hear my stomach right now? God. Let's go to the background. Here, we don't know actually anything about childhoods. We kind of know stuff from either their like married life or sort of just before they have met. Wood married her husband Ken in 1979 when she was just 17 years old, which we know means disaster. And uh, also shotgun wedding because she preggers. So the only bit that we know from her childhood is that she actually said she allowed herself to get pregnant so she would leave her abusive home. Kind of, again, nobody wins because then you're bringing a child into, like, probably an unwanted marriage. But hey, who am I to judge? Wood was later diagnosed as a pathological narcissist. So it's hard to know, like, what is true and what is lie, kind of, from what she's saying. Also, it was always kind of hard to know which one of them was the dominant one. Uh, yeah, it's wood, okay. <laughs> After her kid is born, basically her husband says like she didn't act like she wanted a girl or just a child in general. So, you know, she kind of let the house go, let herself go. The house became cluttered and filthy and she just let the child be cared for by anybody else. And her husband thought like, okay, cool. If she gets a job and gets out of the house, she might start to feel better. Yeah, the problem is always within husband. It's not never outside. So, in 1985, she took his suggestion suggestion, and she was hired at the Alpine Manor Nursing Home. As I mentioned, in both articles, they fat shame her for gaining weight. So, listen to this. Listen, of course, I've been pointing those fuckers, because it's just insane. Okay, <clears throat> wet as a teenager, Wood had ballooned up to 450 pounds when a seven-year marriage broke up leaving her alone and friendless in Grand Rapids. Okay, first of all, ballooned up. You know that this is like written in fucking 80s, 70s, whenever. Where is the story base? <laughs> Another one. Wood had divorced and gained an enormous amount of weight, so she was hungry for a friend. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. But this is not correct. This is a bad fucking pun, okay? Stop doing this. Imagine if this story, like... What's now? This would be nothing special. These two wouldn't even make it to, you know, some fucking crazy news for somebody to even just say this. Also, it would have to be politically correct and can't say this shit. She was hungry for a friend, you know, what the fuck? Graham, though, had like a shitty kind of childhood. So she was raised on the farm in Texas by parents who believed that holding infants made them weak. <laughs> it's like, are we, are we living in fucking pre, like medieval times where you would throw your fucking child in the water and be like, cool. Yeah, if he floats, he survives. Wait. 
So she had no fucking physical contact and care during her development, which is very important to have in the early years of your life. I believe that part. People debate the next part, which is that her dad abused her both physically and sexually. So people kind of debate that that is just her, again, trying to call attention to herself because, well, all of them are like, both of them are kind of fucking narcissists. And she had this event in her childhood that is just fucking bizarre. Well, again, according to her, this is what marked her for life. Her brother, on the orders of their dad, killed her pet dog for the scene of spooking a horse. The scene of spooking a horse, you know, that scene that everybody knows of. And Graham then dug up the dog's bones, removed his teeth, and kept them in a little heart box. So, uh, <laughs> a lot of next sentences. Later, she would be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and other psychopathic features. I mean, at least she cared for dogs. I don't think that she was like a psychopath here, but again, uh, what do I know? Let's discuss the motives. I was wrong. Well, there's kind of two reasons, but then there's a third one. So you know how I said angels of death kill because they're just psychotic, so like for statistic pleasure, or because, you know, they believe they're easing the pain, the patient's pain. Well, they can also kill for like money or just because they can, but here they wouldn't steal shit. It's kind of torn in between because they can and just the fact that this was very sadistic pleasure for them, quite functionally just done for their own pleasure because it also gives them the complete control over that person because you know they have one of them on the lookout while the other one is just exerting complete control over the helpless lady and then as like the ultimate twist to prove their bond and love to each other they would just fuck up the fucking crime scene and just uh, have sex there great orgasms great why did you think they did it to hit me up potbam.gmail.com or 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 Pod, or on Instagram, you can email through the Instagram link. <laughs> Something revolutionary, revolutionized. Technology has revolutionized the world. <laughs> but now, moving on to the boogeyman of the week. I actually kind of have too many ones here because I'm fucking amazing. But also because <laughs> I kind of looked up one after, you know, like when you're deep into the research and then you just deep into the research of boogeymen and you kind of judge them by the pictures of them and then you find like really disgusting picture like what the fuck is this that's what happened this week yep so i started off with alombre del saco which is a spanish boogeyman or a sack man bag man whatever the fuck you want to call it it's kind of like baba yaga or babaroga which i covered earlier on so there's not much to it but hear me out there's a best fucking story here also, Wikipedia just won here. I just love whoever posts on fucking Wikipedia. Because <laughs> this is probably Google Translate, but I love it. It's like, El Hombre del Saco is usually depicted as a mean and impossibly ugly and skinny old man who eats the misbehaving children he collects. <laughs> this is just like, when I fucking exaggerate, I'm like, yeah, fogly, he fogly. Also, I love that in like Mexico and Honduras, they call him... <laughs> El Roba Chicos, which is just like, it just sounds, the word Chicos, it just sounds so like pretentious to me, it's just like El Roba Chavales. <laughs> I don't know why, it's probably because I don't, Spanish is not my first language. I'm an immigrant, okay? But that just also kind of like emphasizes that it's a child's nature, which is like, we know, just call him a sack man, okay? There's a whole pool on Wikipedia and elsewhere, by the way, if you want to go to it, about comparisons to Sackman and Santa Claus. 
and that was just like what is life <laughs> like who made these comparisons but the story i want to tell you about in lombre do saco today is the one where this is like one of the most beautiful and you know how much i can rip apart a fucking story <laughs> childhood story but this one was so beautiful i was like this is so believable <laughs> So it's a story about how this girl was snatched while like she was just out with her family and then this well Ombre de Sako was making her say these lines basically so he would ask her to technically perform out a sack without being seen and just sort of like singing and shit and then people would like throw money into the sack and he would make money this way which for you is bizarre this is how fucking gypsies and homeless men get money back home so i suppose that was the point of this it's probably how it happens in spain i don't know and she was captured while she left this golden ring in like a fountain so it goes like because of the golden ring that i left in the fountain i am here in this sack and here i'm going to die it rhymes in spanish okay <laughs> so one day as she was performing this from a sack her family was passing by and basically they realized like it's her voice they invited this old ugly you know fugly man to pass the night with them well, to stay at the night, you know, come have a nice dinner, you know, we're gonna get you drunk and save our fucking child. And so they did. And then it kind of turns morbid because they put a dog and a cat inside the sack, you know, to re replace the kid. I am translating because I lazily fucking shoved all of these lines in Spanish. What the fuck, by the way? So, of course, when he was again like, yeah, sing, sing for the money, you know, make us, make us the money, little girl. Well, the dog and the kid can't, <laughs> the dog and the cat can't sing. And then the dog bit him and the, the, the cat scratched the shit out of him. So even today, they are curing this old man because he has never recovered from this. Moral of the story, to stop fucking with people. <laughs> and just kidnapping people in general. Karma is a bitch, man. Karma is a bitch. So, as I was reading, <laughs> you know, the legends behind this story, have you ever heard about El Coco? Which is like coconut, but it's also skull. Well, in Spain, Portugal, and Latin America, including Brazil, why the fuck is this like, okay? Parents sometimes invoke El Coco or El Coco as a way of discouraging the children from misbehaving. Now, this dates from like 1274, and it is a shapeless figure, sometimes like a hairy monster that hides in closets or under the beds and eats children that misbehave when they're told to go to bed. It's very particular, okay? And I was like, okay, cool, that's nothing special, you know, this is not like podcast material. But then, <laughs> I read this. This thing is basically a stalker, okay? Let me tell you straight up, no, no, no like, beating around the bush. It can immediately devour the child, leaving no trace, or it may spirit the child away to a place of no return. <laughs> but it only does this to disobedient children. <laughs> it's like, so what, if, if it just eats a child that's like chill, that's like a well-behaved child? It like kind of is on the lookout for misbehavior from the rooftops, and then it takes the shape of only dark shadow and stays watching. It's basically just a fucking stalker boogeyman, okay? So it's technically like the opposite of the guardian angel and is frequently compared to the devil itself. <laughs> so of course this was in some text and not just any text, but it originated in the 17th century and it goes like this. Sleep child, sleep now. 
else Coco comes and we'll eat you. I hated the fucking literal translation from Spanish. If you are the OG listener, you by now know that after the outro music, there's always a little bits and pieces now for it. Well, not always, but for the past like four or five episodes. So stay tuned for that and just re-listen to the last couple of episodes for that last bit because it's epic, okay? I give you my best. I give you my best performances. And then... It was also showcased in Don Quixote. And it goes like this. He had the whole world in a little time. He was the scarecrow and the cocoa of the world in such a conjuncture that he credited his fortune to die sane and to live insane. Yo, Spaniards, what do you think about Don Quixote? Would you read it now? Would you recommend it? Probably not. <laughs> I tried, okay? I gave it like a little bit of a trailer teaser listen and I was like, I don't think this is for me. There are better reads out there in Spanish. There's better stuff, right? What you guys think about Paolo Coelho's work in general? I mean, I get, I know he's Portuguese, but you know, El Alquimista. The Winner Stands Alone. The Winner Stands Alone I read like twice. I really dig that book. I mean, not really that much after second time. I was like, okay, yeah, this was a phase. <laughs> So yeah, for me, Quayo is the face. Is it for you? Tell me. <laughs> Slide into my DMs at night and tell me spooky stories because it's not like I'm sleeping anyways. Also, I never... I, I don't think I ever asked you, but if you are really attached and like close to your grandparents or great-grandparents even better, please send me those stories. Send me their true crime stories. As you know, I like fucking love my great-grandma and like mentioned her in every other episode. Like, what is the advice? What is the true crime advice? The best ones that your grandma gave you? Send those to me. That shit fascinates me. From next week, these minis are going to come as a series. Well, it's like they've been kind of series, except from that time when I spoke about toilet paper. I've destroyed your childhood fairy tales for you. Still send those through. Then we've done Boogeyman series. From next week starting a completely new series it's gonna blow your mind and probably make you not want to travel ever but yeah it's gonna be great i can actually kind of deep dive into them as well and make them a bit longer oh god <laughs> way too aggressive way too aggressive and now look at you big man god this needs to stop <laughs> This saying, this line needs to die. Okay, l- look at you big woman, man, grown-up people going into meetings like like you like them. <laughs> so yeah, you're in your next meeting and people are most probably running surveys discussing, you know, the safe way to get you into the fucking office. And what are you doing? You're just looking at them like they're fucking mugs because Corona is still there. The fact that everybody's gonna hate the government once you realize that the government gave you shitty advice to just go roam the streets, go into pubs and everything after a couple of months is heavily imposed on your fucking mind. And your company's just like, but we need, you know, some economic growth. We need the offices. We need to, you know, some establish some new normal. And then once the second wave comes, we'll work from home again. And you're just there like, that's dumb. Well, you tell them that. You tell them not to trust the government. I mean, at this point, just do what what you need for your fucking soul. If this was me and I was honestly to be go- returning back to the office, I'll probably be like, I'm sorry, sorry, I tested positive. You know, for privacy reasons, I can't share my test results, but you, you just gotta trust me. I, I'm a risk to everybody. So, uh, yeah, you don't want me in there. 
drastic measures, dramatization. Don't tell them I advise you to do this. Don't cancel this podcast. Or even better, tell them somebody else like from your family had it so you know you you are like heavily at risk. Like yeah, you live with that person because then they can't technically ask for those people's results because what well, is family members, right? Lawyers, GDPR people, they can't, right? There is leeways right now, okay? There are many leeways. There are many ways to get around this. So do what you need for your mental health. If you want to go back to the office, like my fucking husband does, because he's going mentally insane. We're stuck with me forever. Imagine being stuck with this. You you do it every Monday. Why do you do it? It's your choice. If you need it for your mental health, to go back to the office and not to be stuck in your house, then yeah, sure, go ahead, do it. I'm just giving you ways to to cope and survive if you uh, don't wanna. And then there's nothing wrong with that. Find your fucking leeway right now. Find your zen in the time of corona and just live your best fucking life. Another tip that nobody wanted to travel, or not even travel, lie to people, man. Tell them you just returned from, I don't know, Spain. Where Where is the worst? Tell them you returned from fucking Brazil, okay? Or the US. <laughs> like, where it's like on the rise and be like, so go to isolate for at least 14 days and even then, like, <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> don't joke with coronavirus, but also, just stay honest and tell your fucking boss that you don't want to go to the office because it's fucking shy. And it was shy to begin with, and you couldn't wait for three months of not going back there because the company is shy, or the co-workers are shy, or this needs improvement. Change the motherfucking world, right? Don't hold me responsible for the firings during corona time, okay? No, no, this is my personal opinion, okay? Don't fucking, like, don't do it. I'm just saying, don't trust the fucking government and do what's best for your personal, actual health, not getting infected, and your mental health. So yeah, then, yes. Crucify me for that if you fucking need to, okay? In your, I'm just doing things in your best interest. And if it means not getting stressed at work and working from the office, then win-win, right? So keep making the world a better place for yourself and the others. One motive at a time. Bye, fuckers. Duermete, niño, duermete ya, que viene el coco y te comerá. Aguanto el hombre del saco. Y la niña canta, por un anillo de oro, que en la fuente me dejé, estoy metida en el saco y el saco moriré. Y ahora saltamos al fin del cuento. Y el perro le dio un mordisco en las narices que se las arrancó, y el gato le llenó la cara de arañazas, y la gente del pueblo, pensando que se había querido burlar de ellos, le midieron las costillas con palos y varas, Y salió tan magullado que todavía hoy le andan curando. Y colorín colorado, este cuento se ha acabado. And now in my best American Spanish accent. Y colorín colorado, este cuento se ha acabado.